Welcome to A History of the Inca. Episode 14, Rebuilding Cusco. Welcome once again, everyone, to A History of the Inca. I am your host, Nick Mashinsky. Look at that, already our third episode this season. Again, if you stumbled upon this episode and missed episode 12 completely, we are now releasing episodes every two weeks. A big step for the show. I just want to take a moment to remind all of you that we do have a website, ahistoryoftheinca.wordpress.com, where you can find pictures as well as maps for applicable episodes, including this one. And there are a lot of maps and figures to look at for this episode. So if you can, go over to the website and check those out. I have updated the site and there is no longer a Maps tab on the website. Instead, all maps and figures will be posted with the proper episode under the description. So everything will be located in one single spot. I don't know why I didn't think of this in the first place, but here we are. Also, I encourage you to follow the show on Twitter at Inca Podcast and like the show's Facebook page. I'm trying to be more active on those sites, and that is where you can find any updates about the show. And of course, you can always submit a review on iTunes or Apple Podcasts or whatever they're calling themselves these days. It really helps to get the word out to other potential listeners. There are no new patrons this week, but there is a link to the Patreon page in the episode description if you'd like to support the show monetarily. Any and all support is truly appreciated. Now then, let's return to where we last left off. Pachacuti triumphant as he returns to Cusco from several conquests laden with spoils of war. Pachacuti peered from atop the hill. Cusco, the navel of the universe, sat in the valley below him. It had been found generations ago, thanks to Manco Inca and his siblings who had arrived there after searching for fertile land to settle. And indeed, the land was fertile. Because of the Safi and Tuyumayu rivers, the land was lush. Yet Cusco seemed a little more than a village in the eyes of Pachacuti. A village sitting in a marsh far from the grandeur that he felt a Sapa Inca such as he should have as his capital. Thus, Pachacuti headed down the hill towards his village with the intention of raising Cusco to be the grandest city in the Andes. Before beginning on rebuilding Cusco, Pachacuti had Colcas built to store all the spoils he had gained from his numerous conquests, as well as the surplus that the Inca were producing agriculturally. Mentioning storehouses may not seem necessary, but as we'll see later, Colcas were a very important tool for the Inca in several ways. Returning to Cusco proper, Pachacuti envisioned the city layout as a puma, which is difficult to see today if you were to look at a modern map of the city. However, I've added a picture of what Pachacuti may have envisioned at the website, ahistoryoftheinca.wordpress.com. And if the picture isn't up there by the time of this episode uh, releasing, it will be soon. So with his vision in mind, 
Pachacuti began with Asafi and Tuyumayu rivers. The rivers were a constant problem to Cuzco, as they would flood and erode their banks, making any construction project difficult. Pachacuti ordered that stones be installed in the clay lining of the banks of the two rivers. This stabilized the banks of the Safi and Tuyumayu, reducing the threat of erosion. A sketch and picture of these canals are once again posted on the website. Now the Safi forms the underbelly of the Puma, while the Tuyumayu forms the back. These two rivers combine to the east and form what is called the Pumuchupa, or the lion's tail. The roads that were constructed in the city are more like what we would consider alleyways today. Without the use of carts or any riding animal, there was no point in constructing large roads through the city. They were paved with stones and often had waterways running through the middle of them. After the work on the rivers was complete, the Caracas once again were called back to Cusco. Pachacuti feasted and drank with his lords and asked them to raise a labor force large enough to assist him in rebuilding the capital. How could they refuse their Sapa Inca who had just led them to victory so many times? Not only that, but how could they refuse the man who had appointed many of them to their posts and who had bestowed so many gifts and who is now hosting them at his feast? The Inca's ask of Mita would be fulfilled with a labor force secured Pachacuti then ordered the entire evacuation of the city. I may not have mentioned this in earlier episodes, and perhaps this was implied given that they never had a writing system, but the Andes never had a paper product either. So in place of schematics, molds of clay were brought before the Inca. With these molds, the Sapa Inca's vision came to life in miniature form. The topography could be sculpted as a base, and then various buildings could populate the model in clay form. With a plan now on paper, I mean clay, the surrounding marshland was made to drain into the Safi and Tuyamayu rivers. This allowed a firm foundation to be created for which various buildings could be built upon. After 20 years of construction and building projects, the city could hold between 100 and 150,000 people and Pachacuti had transformed Cusco into the city he thought worthy of his achievements. Now we're going to pause the narrative there as we're going to take a tour of the defining features of Cusco. But before we do that, we need to clear up a few points. Some buildings that we will cover are believed to have been built well before the arrival of Pachacuti. Some buildings that we will cover are thought to have been built after Pachacuti as well. However, it is difficult to say for certain that we have an idea of what building was built when and attribute them to a certain leader. And this is because all that is left of these buildings, if anything, are stone walls. And stone cannot be radiocarbon dated like organic material and any organic materials associated with these buildings was destroyed long ago, likely in the siege of Cusco. Nevertheless, archaeologists and historians have done their best to determine what building belonged to who and what its purpose was. Once again, there are maps on the website to help orient you within Cusco, 
and I find Brian Bauer's map extremely useful and easy to follow. Now then, let's begin with Waka Pata. Waka Pata, better known today as the Plaza de Armas, was the center of Cusco. This square is where the empire's four quarters converged, and many of the important buildings we'll cover today were situated on the Wakapata. However, the square was larger than what can be seen today, and it was not paved. In fact, a thick layer of sand covered the entire area. Now this sand wasn't from any nearby mine or dune, it was from the coast. That's right, load after load of sand was hauled up the Andes to Cusco by Lama. Nearly unbelievable when you think about it. But as we will learn, the Inca did some pretty unbelievable things. In this sand, offerings could be buried, for the square also had religious significance. At the center of Huacapata was a stepped platform called an Ushnu. Ushnus were meant for the Inca to stand upon and to conduct important rituals. This Ushnu was unlike any other, though. It was made of gold. Was it solid gold or just gold-plated? I haven't found an answer for that, but I wouldn't rule out the former. The Inca had enormous amounts of gold at their disposal. Anyways, drains were incorporated into this Ushnu, and chicha would be poured down into it for an offering. These drains ran out from under the Ushnu and then drained underneath the sand of Wakapata. Across the Safi River to the south, was another square called the Cusipata. However, it is less impressive than the Wakapata, and historians are unsure exactly what it was used for, or if it had the same layer of coastal sand covering it. Let's talk about actual buildings now. On the northwest corner of Wakapata sat Kasana, a large stone structure sitting along the Safi River. Kasana was what is called a Kayanka, a large hall that served as a place of assembly. This place was used as an open-air space if the weather outside was not cooperating. Kayankas had several doors on a given side that were placed symmetrically, but did not open to individual spaces, just one giant one. We're not sure who the large hall was for. Some say it was for Pachacuti, others say it was for Wanakapak, Pachacuti's grandson, and still others say it was meant for Pachacuti's great-grandson, Waskar. What we do know is that it was huge. To quote Gasolazo de la Vega, who saw the hall as a boy, I saw in my time a great part of the walls of the building called Casana, which were a finely worked masonry showing that it had been a royal dwelling, as also a splendid hall which the Incas used for festivals and dances in rainy weather. It was so large that 60 mounted men could easily joust with canes in it. 60 men jousting. Think about that for a minute. 30 men on one side in armor on their horses with lances, squaring off against another 30 on the opposite side of a hall. Another feature we are told about is that one end of the hall was completely open from one wall to the other and from the ground right up to the roof. And just outside this grand entrance stood two round towers. 
towers are pretty common in Europe, but in the Andes, they were extremely rare features in Inca architecture. The best example of a tower is Sanduwaki in the Titicaca Basin. You can see a picture of this tower as well as a few sketches on the website. So we can get an idea of how these towers looked. Unfortunately, today the tower is no longer standing. Chulpas, tower-like buildings that were used to house ancestral remains in the Titicaca Basin, are still around in the landscape. These are the best examples of tower-like structures that we have that are still standing in some form. The Korakora is a lesser-known palace that was just next to Kasana. This building has been associated with both Inca Roca and Pachacuti. It is said that the former may have used it as a place where people could learn, sort of like a university. The latter possibly used the building for a residence and for worship. Now we'll go to the opposite side of the Wakapata, to Amuru Kancha. The name of this building means Enclosure of the Serpent, which sounds awesome and mysterious. However, we don't know what it was used for. It is believed to have been built late in the life of the empire, probably during the reign of Huascar. A hoard of gold was discovered under the floor during Spanish colonial rule, but today only a few sections of it actually survive. The Akiawaki is one building that we do know what it was used for. This was the House of the Chosen Women, where the women who served the religious temples lived. These women had the title of Mama Kuna. They were completely dedicated to the Inca's religious needs, assisting with ceremonies and sacrifices, making chicha for festivals, and upkeeping the necessary religious spaces. The Mamakonas will be brought up again when we dive deeper into religious matters. Next on our list is the Hatun Kancha, or Great Enclosure. This was another Kayanka that housed several springs that were also Huacas. Their names are Kanka Pacha and Tisicocha. It is believed that this building was a part of Pachacuti's rebuilding of Cusco, though today little remains of it. The last building that I will bring up today is the Cusicancha, or Happy Enclosure. It is also called the Cusicancha Pachamama, Happy Enclosure Earth Mother. It is said that Pachacuti may have been born in this building, possibly explaining its name. However, we do know that Pachacuti's son, Tupac Inca Yupanqui, was in fact born in this building. Members of Pachacuti's Panaca, or political clan, would later make sacrifices here, again showing the deep connection Pachacuti had to this building. Many of the buildings that I just mentioned are far from their former glory. Yes, you can still appreciate the beautiful ashlar and polygonal masonry of several structures I talked about today. However, shops and restaurants, and in some cases clubs, now reside in some of these buildings such as Kasana. As for the Hatun Kancha, all we have is a wall jutting out into the modern day sidewalk. You can quite literally trip over part of it if you're not paying attention. Trust me. Thuyuchuyu 
and Hall of Viracocha are two buildings I did not mention today. Not just because we know little about them, but because a cathedral now sits where these buildings once stood. Of course, these are not all of the buildings that were present in Inca Cusco. However, I don't think it would be very useful to rattle off several more buildings just to tell you that we don't know about this building or that building or what happened within them. And some buildings we'll touch on in the future as we talk about different aspects of Inca society. Now some of you who are more familiar with Inca history or Cuzco will know that I left out two of the most important structures in all of the Inca Empire, Sacsayhuaman and the Coricancha. Well, that was not by accident. Of all the buildings the Inca erected, we know the most about these two, and they could be considered wonders of the world in their own right. Thus, it is only right to spend some extra time walking through these two buildings and their functions. So next time, join me as we discuss the largest megalithic structure in the Americas, Saxo Amman. <laughs>